The calendar is about to flip to February, meaning the word bracketology is going to come back into your life on a daily basis, especially if you're a Syracuse University basketball fan. Tracking the latest projections and learning about quadrants and RPI and Ken Pomeroy ratings and all these crazy things you have to track to see if the Orange are on track for the tournament. The Orange are in a stretch where they beat Pittsburgh, beat Boston College, have Pittsburgh again, and then have Georgia Tech around the bend. All games that Syracuse needs to win to stay on that track. And then things really get intense in February with Virginia, Louisville, Duke, North Carolina, and the best of the best in the ACC Lumen. Chris Carlson from Syracuse.com joins me on the Syracuse Sports Podcast this week to look at the long-term forecast for the Orange. Who's getting better before our very eyes? Do they have the depth to make it through that grinding ACC schedule? How has Jim Beheim coached a team that's not very deep, but does everything he asks? Chris and I also get into the future of the Carrier Dome. While Syracuse isn't saying much, Maybe we're getting closer to getting some real answers on what Carrier Dome 2.0 will look like. You drive to the net with Jim Beheim, you drive home a deal with Brian and Bruce at the Bill Rapp Superstore. Hey, check it out yourself. Calculate your payments, get value on your trade, credit approved, BillRapp.com. Always a great deal, always the smart choice. It's the Bill Rapp Superstore. So we are here with Chris Carlson, and Chris, it's weird because we're recording this on Thursday after a night when Syracuse scored 81 points, they shot 60%, they had five players in double figures, so last night was the exception to the rule, but let's dig into that a little bit. Why was the Boston College game the exception to the rule? Well, uh, you know, uh, the big thing for Syracuse's offense to me is all season it's been three guys against Boston College, they got five guys, and it was a nice night. Uh, for matchups with Pascal, Chukwu, and uh, Merrick Dolajai. Um, you know, BC is also very young in the front court. They also don't have a lot of depth. Um, they're not big, strong guys. So it was easier for Syracuse to have a more balanced offense, I think, against Boston College than it's going to be most nights in the ACC. So it'll be kind of interesting to see if this was kind of a, a blip or if kind of that continued production is something they can sustain, you know, the rest of the conference. And that's away. on the offensive end. On the defensive end, I don't think I've seen a Syracuse team in a while cheat up that far in the zone. And Beheim knew he could do that because there's nobody in, in the in the backcourt or the front court, I should say, that's going to hurt you there. So how many teams can you do that against in the ACC? It's a pretty short list, but it's a game you could do it last night. And it was so interesting, Chris, as you wrote about during the week. Boston College was one of two teams in the country that uses their bench less than Syracuse. It was just kind of a mono mono type of game, and they got a game where all five Syracuse players got into double figures. How much do you think the extra practice time that they had coming into that game was a factor? Because they just looked like a refreshed basketball team. Yeah, I, I'm sure it helps just, just, you know, I don't know how much better you can get as a basketball player in, in seven days of practice. You know, you're not really adding any new trick to your bag in, in, in a week. Um, but just a, as kind of a a human being, like a, a, think how good you feel when you come back off a of vacation and just how mentally refreshed you are and, and how you're ready to attack your work. Um, and just everything is, is just freer and, and better. Um, and it certainly felt like that with Syracuse last night, you know, that the, the Tyus Battle and Frank Howard who have shouldered so much of, of the load uh, might have just benefited from a little bit of time to recharge their batteries. 
you know, and, and a guy like O'Shea Brissett, right, who was so good early, um, then struggled uh, early in ACC play, and he just got to take a breath, right, and, and just watch a little bit of film, think a little bit about how to get back to being the player he was earlier in the year. Um, you know, I, I think those are probably the two areas that I would guess that it helped them the most. You know, Jim Beheim says all the time, Chris, about, and coaches say this a lot, but I, I've noticed him say this maybe more than usual this year. We need to get better. I mean, it's his favorite thing to say. It's what a coach really comes back to. We need to get better. But we are seeing that tangible improvement. And there's a few guys we can go over here that kind of it's the, the conversation spawns from that Boston College game. And you brought up one guy I want to start with, in O'Shea Brissett. Now, this is just two games, I would imagine – down the road in ACC play, his shot attempts are going to get back up into the double figures. But the last two games, he only shot the ball nine times, two of three from three-point range. And I think that's a good thing for O'Shea. It pretty much comes down to he gets open and he can shoot, but it's kind of quality over quantity at this point. So instead of going, you know, four of 16, five of 15 and getting to the free throw line, it seems like that shot selection has been more of the quality variety the last two games. And it's Pittsburgh and BC. So, you know, take that for what it's worth versus just I've got to chuck up 16 shots to, to, to get to my average. Yeah. You know, I think both um, with both Frank and Tyus, right? A, a, a mediocre shot by them is maybe better than a, a, a good shot from other players on the court. Um, and I think O'Shea was probably falling into that trap a little bit where he felt someone has to do something on offense. Uh, I'm the third member of this big three. I've got to force up shots because somebody has to do something. And he was taking shots that he probably didn't love, but but just felt that he had to take them because somebody had to take them. Um, and like you said, you know how much of it is a change in O'Shea Brissett's game versus how much of it is you know, Pittsburgh and BC, and he doesn't have to force against those guys. Uh, you know, that'll be interesting to see going forward. But his shot selection has sure, certainly been better. Um, he's got the three-point shot working lately, which is just huge for their spacing. Um, so, yeah, he's he's been a far more efficient player the last couple of games, and they need that. He's one of those guys that when you watch him, he's just on the verge of that breakthrough. You can see the talent level there. You want him to shoot the ball. You want him to be in these situations because – He's just right on that line of going from good to great. And as you mentioned, he's one of the big three on this team. So it'll be interesting to see how that happens going down the line here in ACC play. Another guy in the immediate term that will be very interesting to watch is Merrick Dolzhai, who had to step in on Wednesday night because Matthew Moyer got hurt. By all accounts, had one of his best games in a Syracuse uniform, certainly his best game in ACC play. And what's interesting about Merrick is we know he can hustle. We know he can rebound. We know he does the dirty stuff. But it was interesting, and our, our colleague Donna DeTota wrote about this a little bit, that they're reworking his shot a little bit. Literally, like working, it's like reworking a golf swing. There's a little hitch in his delivery that they kind of worked on. And Adrian Autry and, and Coach Griffin and even Coach Beheim have encouraged him, when you get the ball in the post, at least look for that shot now. So you want to talk about players getting better? There's a marked improvement in a player that we're seeing before our very eyes and that maybe he'll be a little bit more of an offensive threat when he's out there now. Yeah, because there were games in the ACC where he didn't even, like, look at the basket, right? He caught the ball and he was just looking to see who he could hand it off to. He had 12 points against BC and eight combined points in ACC play before that. So that, that tells you right there. So, just you know, and we talked about the three guys who had to four shots. Just the fact that Merrick is looking to do something on offense – Maybe teams can't help off him quite as much, um, you know. So, so that helps 
free up O'Shea and Tyus and Frank. And, and then who, who saw this improvement from Pascal Chukwu? <laughs> Coming down, I mean, the coaches have done an awesome job with him. They really have. 40 minutes in that Boston College game. Chris, if you had come to me at the beginning of the season and said we made some sort of wager that he would play 40 minutes yeah. in any basketball game, no way I'm taking that bet. But he did. And, you know, it's interesting how Jim Beheim said he wants him to be more of an aggressive player, be a little meaner inside. You can't change somebody's demeanor in a week, but now that they're getting that message across, that's a player who is, you know, more confident inside. His free throw shooting has just gone through the Incre- roof. <laughs> the most incredible in-season improvement like of anything I've ever seen. It really is. It's one of the best in-season improvements of a Syracuse player I've ever seen. And I know that sounds like a big statement. I would, make, it was like from 0 for 10 to like, he, now you feel good. when you Exactly. Now, you can't play Hacka Pascal because he'll make you pay because he's, you know, he's, he's shooting at a much better percentage. But, you know, it's just, it's interesting how he's been a more confident player and the team has been more confident from this sense. You and I have talked about this a bit kind of in the office and other places. And I wanted to ask you about this. Jim Beheim this year just kind of has the word I'm going to use is he's content with this team. I think he knows like this is the kind of team I have. It's not very deep. You know, you can't rail on certain players and put this guy on the bench and do this because well you don't have a long line of players to come in and take their place. Now especially, you know, in the short term here with Matthew Moyer being hurt. Now Jim still gets passionate on the sidelines and still does. Yeah, when he sees a, when he sees a play he doesn't like, he still he still reacts to it. That's always going to happen. But by and large, when he does interviews, interviews he's done with me, press conferences, we haven't gotten those blow up moments this year. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed this too? Is this the most content you've seen Bayheim with a team like this? Maybe in, in recent memory. Yeah, I, I mean, I, to to me, um, and I talked to our boss Jason Murray about this a little bit too. Um, I think for the most part they're doing what he asks them to do you know he he, uh, the only guy we've seen maybe him get a little ticked at was Matthew Moyer shooting the threes and and, you know I think Matt tried maybe one more three and then that was put on the shelf and and he kind of realized what he's supposed to do uh in the offense you know uh, he he loves Merrick and talks about his winning plays and, and how he plays the game um you can't ask for much more than Tyus and Frank are giving you on a nightly basis. And for a true freshman, O'Shea Brissett's been been great. Um, so, you know, what more? They're they're listening and, you know, they're living up to expectations. They're, they're not the most talented group in the world. They're not the deepest group. Um, they still have some physical growing to do, and you can't do that. You can't fix that in, in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, I think, I think he's just like, he's like, this is the team I've got. They're, they're trying. Um, they're trying to do what I tell them to do. Uh, the ceiling's not at the roof. <laughs> the ceiling's not the roof. Uh, <laughs> but but you know they're 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 doing everything they can, and uh, you know he he appreciates that. that. That's kind of the sense that I get. We'll have more with Chris Carlson, our friend from Syracuse.com, after this word from Bill Rapp. Is 2018 going to be the year? This is the year you're going to quit smoking. You're gonna lose weight. You're gonna stick to that New Year's resolution and make it happen. I believe in you. Now, 2018 may be New Year, new car time. It is for me. Brought it up earlier. I cannot believe it. I looked at my odometer the other day, 97,000 miles. Okay, 2018 is going to be the year. If you're like me and you're looking for new, you're looking for trade, you want to calculate your payments online, 
credit approved, an all-star shopping experience. Go in, talk a little SU hoops. Talking about my friends, Brian and Bruce Rapp, at the Bill Rapp Superstore. Check it out online, BillRapp.com. New Subarus, Buicks, GMCs, pre-owned vehicles as well. You've got options. It's a new year. Why don't you treat yourself and get that car? Bill Rapp Superstore. BillRapp.com. New year, new car. Make it happen. All right, Chris. So Pittsburgh is up next for this team. As we record this, it's Thursday. Then you've got what I would put a game in the winnable category against Georgia Tech. And then things really start to get crazy for this basketball team. Now, Syracuse played well against Virginia mm-hmm. at Virginia. Yep. Virginia is a top three team. They are the best defensive team in college basketball. They come to the Dome on February 3rd, and February is the month where you have Virginia and Louisville and North Carolina and Duke, and that's when it gets nitty-gritty time for this team. So in the short term, and Syracuse has done this so far with a win over Pitt and a win over BC, these are the games you got to get in your back pocket, and the room for error is slim. And you're, you're always going to lose a game or two every year. You shouldn't. You know, things happen in ACC play, but Syracuse doesn't have that room for error if they want to stay in, you know, Joe Lenardi's latest projections and kind of stay on that line, given how tough February is going to be. Yeah, we kind of talked about the ceiling of this team a little bit, right? So you probably hope that they can steal one or two, but they're not like last year's team where, you know, you feel like, boy, if things really go right and they get going, you know, they can beat a team on any given night. I don't necessarily get that feeling that this team's going to go out and, and beat a bunch of the top ACC teams. Um, so you have to hope that they can get one or two of those games and then, like you said, do what they're supposed to do, um, win the games they're supposed to win. Because right now that's their NCAA tournament resume. Their NCAA tournament resume is we have no bad losses. Um, we've won all the games we're supposed to win. Um, but we've seen right the last few NCAA tournament selection committees, you've had to show that you can beat somebody. Um, over the course of the season so they they are going to need to find that marquee win on the schedule at some point um but Syracuse tends to do that right the the last three or four years they've always found a way to get somebody especially at home um and with how ready and focused you have to be in the ACC on a nightly basis you know we, we I don't know if you watched the Virginia Tech North Carolina game North Carolina is the best rebounding team in the conference uh, Virginia Tech has one player taller than 6'6". Um, Virginia Tech hasn't been good this year. UNC has. Um, and Virginia Tech just came out and played harder because they knew they needed that game. And for North Carolina, it was another game on the schedule. And, and Virginia Tech out-rebounded them. Um, so Syracuse is going to be have that approach in a lot of games, right? There are going to be some must-haves for them that are kind of just games. Um, for other teams. It's interesting you brought that up with Virginia Tech because, you know, that 81-point performance against BC throws us off a little bit here. But by and large, Syracuse is a disruptor, you know, and that's why they matched up well with Virginia the first time around. And maybe some of these other teams, Syracuse, which usually they don't play kind of down to that level, for lack of a better term. They want to run and they want to score and they want to play up-tempo, but that's just not what this team is. Maybe Wednesday night lit a fuse, and we'll see how that goes going forward here. But you brought up something interesting about the NCAA tournament and, you know, bracketology and all this mm-hmm. stuff. We're about to flip the calendar to February. Yeah, we can start talking about that stuff We can now. start talking about this stuff now. But how much – I think you've written about this a little bit and, and looked at it, right? How is the process changing? Isn't the committee using more of the Ken Pomeroy ratings and some of these newer analytics? And before, it was really all about RPI and, and certain kind of older measurements. But 
Is this like the NCAA Selection Committee 2.0? Have they finally come around on some of the modern ways to analyze this stuff? And, and could that help or hurt Syracuse? Um, so I, th- I think they've realized that you can kind of game the RPI system a, a little bit. You know, you can, you can, and that those, you know, uh, I think Wake Forest did it a little bit last year. That They played uh, road games against teams that were like in the top 150. Um, and, and it led to a really good RPI. Um well, and actually, they are valuing that. So they're val- they're they're actually valuing that stuff. They're valuing teams that go on the road and 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 win those games um, more than they used to, um, which I I don't necessarily think that's wrong. You know, like it, 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 intuitively, you kind of think, boy, is a win at North Carolina Greensboro really that good? But like, look how good Syracuse has been in the Carrier Dome at points the, the past few years, and and the troubles it has had winning on the road. Um, so, so they're breaking, they're breaking the tournament selection committee this year. They're talking about, uh, quadrants rather than just top 50 RPI wins. So a quadrant one win is, uh, you beat a top 30 team at home. You beat a top 50 team on a neutral court, or you beat a top 75 team on the road. And kind of that same thought process trickles down to quadrants two, three, and four. Um, and I think they're looking for, you know, did you beat somebody in quadrant one? How's your record in quadrant one and two? And then did you avoid the really bad losses in quadrant four? And then, you know, I think those are kind of the things that really stand out and, and that they'll probably value. I feel like I should be taking notes right now. You know, quadrants <laughs> and all this stuff. I, I just want to look at Lenardi's bracketology. Maybe I'll just stick yeah, to that because yeah. you're starting to lose me with all these different measurements we have to do. But that's yeah, I'm sure I bored. I'm sure it. I bored everybody right there. Ho- hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's a little less boring when you read it on our site, right? <laughs> Chris, uh, on a slightly different note, on the building that this basketball team plays in, you've written about this a lot. I've talked to John Wildhack, a Syracuse athletic director, about this a lot. John the Vault Wildhack. John the Vault Wildhack, and you'll you'll get a, a chuckle out of out of this term, due diligence. Yes. Okay. When it comes to renovating the Carrier Dome, the new roof, the new building, whatever this Carrier Dome kind of 2.0 is going to be, mm-hmm. Syracuse is still in the due diligence process. That's the answer we get every time. From Wild Hack. Well, Kent Severud and kind of his State of the Union address, if you will, starting off this semester, gave somewhat of an update here. And that is that they want to decide by the summer what they're going to do with the roof. Now, that's a very specific thing he brought up. There. It's amazing that that qualifies as an update, but, <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> but that's where we're at with this thing. So let's, let's take that right there. Mm-hmm. The roof. the roof. It doesn't mean the whole building, the whole plan, and everything they need to do. But obviously the roof is the most important is decision the most critical in this part. whole thing. So it's pretty much down to do we, if you're Syracuse, put up another inflatable roof, which I don't think anybody believes they're going to do, put a permanent structure up there, and how they do it. Do you, you know, let me let me put it to you. Is Is that the big question? Not only what kind of roof, but how they're going to construct the new roof. So Pete Sala has told us that it's going to be a permanent roof, and they have not necessarily told us that they're walking that back. Um, but maybe they wouldn't tell us if they were walking it back, right? So, so, so um, from what they've said, all indications are that it's a permanent roof, and they haven't told us that they've changed their mind on that. Um, but there are certainly, you know different designs um 
different materials that they could use. Um, you know, there, there's a, a place in Canada that uses kind of a very lightweight, you know, it's not inflatable, um, but it's kind of a very lightweight fa- fabric. Um, now, if you did that, that would limit your abilities probably to do like a center hung scoreboard down the line because the, the, the roof wouldn't be able to hold that much weight. Um, so even, even within the permanent roof, uh, category, you know, there, there's those types of things that they need to think about cost considerations versus future things that we would like to do, um, or future, just, just openness, right? (laughs) Just, just make, Picking picking a roof that will leave them the most options moving forward because this building is going to be around for a long time. Well, the Super Bowl is at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota. Didn't they base some of the designs on what they did with that roof at that stadium? That's what um, that's what Pete said uh, a couple of years ago, which was the most kind of um, serious update and the most detailed update we've gotten. Now, have they walked back some of that? We don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know there there was ETFE, which is a, kind of a, a little bit of a see-through material that they said that they were going to try to use um, in the roof, which would it's not like looking through a window, but it does allow more natural light to come in, which would certainly be nice on those fall football days. Um, they uh, the U.S. Bank Stadium also it was very open, the walls on the outside. They want to open up the Carrier Dome at one point. At some point, now that's something that they. Once they put the roof on, they can do that stuff whenever, right? You can knock down a wall whenever. You you can add things whenever. Um, but you can't do that with the inflatable roof because of the the air system. And you and I have both asked John and other people about this, and there's no easy answer to this until we get the design of this thing. But the Carrier Dome is the most iconic symbol of this city. You yeah, know, every yeah, Chamber is. of Commerce photo, every postcard, mm-hmm. you know, when you think of Syracuse, New York, and the skyline of not only Syracuse, but really central New York, that is the central thing. Yeah. So the they, need actual, to, they need to retain some of that, right? Exactly. The actual yeah. look of this thing is going to be very important because of, you know, what that means to, to the city and how people identify central New York. Yeah, and that's that's one of their interesting challenges, right? <laughs> right, is is to they probably don't want to change the skyline too much because that image has just become synonymous um, with this area and with this university. Um, however, they need new technology. So, so, how do you kind of combine those two things, right? How do you combine your tradition while making it modern? Um, I mean, and there are people that I talk to that still like, they're like, I don't want to change it. I, I love that drive up the highway and seeing that dome. And it's like, hey, it's got to, it's got to change. But, but, yeah, they 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 have to find a, a way to to kind of maintain the look or or somehow improve it, right? And and sell us all that it's an improved look, which which is hard for me to kind of imagine. I'm so I'm so used to seeing that iconic view. Other than that, I mean, we're talking about all the modern amenities that fans want, right? Better Wi-Fi, better food, wider concourses. The seating is always a big issue when you talk to anybody at Syracuse and they hear from fans that, you know, it's time to get rid of those old metal benches out there. So the time frame on that kind of up in the air right now, but that's all been discussed and in in the plans. But it seems like, okay, that's phase two after they get the roof done. That sounds – That I mean, that that – sounds right to me um and and there's probably a little bit of hey if we're doing construction on the roof how much of that can we do at the same time because you probably want to do as much construction as possible at the same time just from a cost 
perspective. Um, but but as you know, you know John Wildhex also said we're not losing a football season or a right. basketball season. So, so how much can they cram into what certainly sounds like a lacrosse season and a summer? Uh, you know how much can you do? How much can you get done in, in kind of that? What's that? Six months? Seven months? Is that a seven month period? About a seven month window there, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the the roof kind of sets all that up. Once the roof gets done and it's permanent, you can do the amenities when it fits your schedule, when it fits your budget. Um, they've said that there's going to be air conditioning. Um, they've talked about at least uh, single seats in the lower level. Um, they've put out some surveys um, as far in the past, nothing new, but but as far as kind of interest in suites. Um, and I, I imagine that's part of it. I mean, that that's such a big revenue driver for colleges. They have to figure out how many suites do we want? How many suites can this market handle? Um, how much are people actually going to pay for these things and then where can we where can we put them like because there's football and there's basketball so where is the best place for us to put these suites and, and you know probably the most complicated uh college athletics building in the country i i, I mean to to run and to to fit that thing for football and basketball and, and give people a good experience it's well, tough. one of the it is one tough. of the natural places to do it and i shouldn't say this as a member of the media is the press box but that's for football. For basketball, yeah, you don't want to be up there. You for don't want to be right? up there for basketball. Yep. So it's going to be an interesting challenge for them. And, and we kind of buried the lead here, Chris. The most important thing in all this, yes, they still will sell beer at the Carrier <laughs> Dome for future events and air conditioning. And there be air conditioning. So there goes that old joke. Chris, appreciate you hanging with us here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast, my friend. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for listening to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe in iTunes. Look for us on Apple Podcasts to get the latest delivered right to your phone, iPad, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Brent Axe. We'll talk to you next time.